Hi everyone, I'm Cynthia Garrett and welcome to today's session. As you know, if you've been joining us, last week we started uh, talking about compromise. And I just have felt that it's really important to actually speak with all of you about the subject of compromise and the evil of compromise and what it does to our lives, what it does to the lives of those around us, um, and what it's doing to our world today. You know, a man's greatest strengths are often also the source of his greatest weaknesses. Okay, this is another way compromise works. A man who has really strong convictions, who speaks out boldly for God's truth, if he isn't careful, can become harsh or unkind. And on the other hand, a man who's oozing with love and compassion can make a lot of mistakes by tolerating everything and everybody, thus compromising God's truth. You know, this latter mistake is kind of what I want to focus on this week um, because it seems to me to be the more common danger in the church today. Often in the name of love and out of the desire to promote unity, Christians have compromised with the world big time. But our standard in the church always needs to be, is it biblical, not does it work? And by way of long-term results, scripture is really clear. Any compromise with the world, whether in doctrine or morals or relationships, has disastrous consequences. So we're going to look at the story of Jehoshaphat because I just find this to be a remarkable example for us to really apply to the time that we're living in. Jehoshaphat is a story about a godly good king with a major weakness for compromise with the world. For example, some right-on Christian leaders who have a whole lot of personal integrity and whose preaching actually proclaims the gospel at the same time, out of a sincere desire to reach the widest possible audience, have invited men of liberal theology and famous people who are at best immature Christians to participate in their platforms. Now, this leaves the impression to everybody watching that there's no real substantial difference theologically or morally between what they proclaim as a leader and what these other people represent. And some people would defend this and do defend this by saying, but look at all the people who get saved. But again, our standard always needs to be, is it biblical? Not, does it work? And by way of long-term results, scripture is really clear, again, any compromise with the world, whether in doctrine, morals, or relationships, has disastrous consequences. Now, we learn from Jehoshaphat that compromise with the world brings disastrous consequences to God's people. The outward damage may not be apparent for a while. You know, I used to live in Kansas, and so I love this example. Like, it's sort of like when you drive your car on salted roads in the winter, it brings these inevitable, although they're not really immediate results of damage to your car. So compromise with the world brings inevitable corruption into your life and at issue into the church. So I'm gonna look at four observations from the story of Jehoshaphat. Number one, compromise with the world is a danger for even the most godly of believers. Pay attention. Clearly, Jehoshaphat was a godly man. We see in 2 Chronicles 17, right, that Jehoshaphat sought the Lord and he walked in his commandments. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord and he removed idols from the land. Scripture tells us. He sent out teachers to instruct the people in God's law. We see in 17 around verses 7 to 9. 
when a prophet rebuked him for wrongful alliance with Ahab, unlike his father, Jehoshaphat accepted it, and he went on to institute further religious reforms. We see that in chapter 19. In chapter 20, we see his heart as the nation is threatened by a vast army, and he calls the people to prayer and fasting. Jehoshaphat's prayer before the assembly in around chapter 20 reveals his humble trust in the Lord, okay? The point is, Jehoshaphat wasn't your average run-of-the-mill believer. He was a rock star. He was a man of strong faith and open godliness who courageously brought reform to his nation. And if he suffered from the danger of compromising with the world, if he actually suffered from it, then none of us is exempt. So why did Jehoshaphat and why do we fall into the problem of compromise with the world in the first place? Well, let's look at my second point. Compromise with the world is a danger because of its subtlety. So the first thing we read of Jehoshaphat in around chapter 17 is how he strengthened his position over Israel, which was kind of Ahab's northern kingdom, right? Later we read of his valiant army and fortified cities. He was ready for any attack. Now, if Ahab had declared war, Jehoshaphat would most likely have creamed him. But instead, Ahab finagled to get his daughter married to Jehoshaphat's son. So the next thing we hear is Jehoshaphat promising the godless Ahab, I am as you are and my people as your people and we will be with you in the battle. Now we're into chapter 18 and I'm telling you it's incredible. It's as if a boxer is trained for the big fight for his entire life and his opponent invites him out to dinner the night before the fight and slips some poison into his coffee. That's how Satan works. He's not obvious, he's tricky. He fools you with what seem to be good causes and lures you into a whole den of compromise. And you know what happens when you compromise. Eventually it gives birth to sin and sin eventually gives birth to death. Hold on, wait for it because the story is just getting, getting ready to get going. Why did Jehoshaphat get entangled with Ahab? Jehoshaphat was one of the most godly kings ever to reign in Judah, and Ahab was one of the most despicable snakes ever to coil on the throne of Israel. So why on earth did they get together at all? A few years later, Jehoshaphat went down to Ahab's capital, Samaria, and Ahab rolled out the red carpet. And after they gorged themselves on Ahab's food, the criminal proposes a spiritual project to Jehoshaphat. Will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead, he asks him in chapter 18. Now, Ramoth Gilead was one of the cities of refuge ordained by God, and it had fallen into the hands of the king of Syria. Now, what could be more right than to go against this pagan king to recapture this city for the Lord and his people? I know it, Jehoshaphat had to be thinking this can't be a bad thing. So he pledges his allegiance to Ahab. Well, guess what? It almost got him killed. And that's how Satan ensnares believers. He traps us and tricks us. He's not up front. He doesn't tell us what the disastrous consequences of compromise are gonna look like. He makes it look good. He makes it seem wholesome and even seem right. Satan doesn't come up and say, hey, how'd you like to get VD or have a baby out of wedlock? Or worse, how'd you like to kill one through abortion? No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, how would you like to destroy two families by committing adultery? Rather, he says, sex is exciting and you're in love and your marriage sucks and he doesn't pay attention to you and it can't be wrong if it feels so right. 
And so we move to point number three. Compromise with the world sucks you in through wrong relationships. Notice how Jehoshaphat got sucked in deeper and deeper. First, he gave his son in marriage, probably for a good cause, to reunite the two kingdoms. Next, he accepted Ahab's hospitality and foolishly gave his word about going into battle with him. But at that point, his conscience was nagging him, and so he asked for a prophet so that they could inquire of the Lord. Now, this is what happens. You step into compromise, then your conscience starts to bother you, okay? So, when you're Jehoshaphat, you call for a prophet. Now, even after the godly Micah pro prophesied against Ahab's expedition, Jehoshaphat, though, at that point felt locked in because he'd given his word. And you know how that goes. You've given your word. You've made an allegiance to this worldly person who is your ally. And so even though God and God's people are telling you, hey, don't do that, what are you going to do now? Now you're locked in. And so Jehoshaphat stood by while the godly prophet was hauled off to jail. Oh my gosh, his conscience must have been shouting at this point, but he'd given his word. And next, and this is a real no-brainer, he naively agreed to Ahab's scheme where Jehoshaphat would wear his kingly robes in the battle while Ahab went incognito. You know what? Honestly, I just have to say it. Christians, I know, are generally trusting people, but sometimes we can be so stupid. You know, when you start running with the world, you get outsmarted really quick as a Christian. Because guess what? You're not hardwired, and in any way you were hardwired to be as clever about sin as them, you just can't compete with them anymore in the area of sin, and that ought to be a good thing. But you got to protect yourself against that. So as the story goes, Jehoshaphat goes off into battle with the godless Ahab against the word of God's prophet. Except for God's grace, I got to tell you, Jehoshaphat would have been killed. We get lured by the subtlety of the world and then we get locked in by forming wrong relationships that get us compromised even more. And that's how it goes. Jehoshaphat's experience reveals several areas where we as believers have to be on guard constantly against forming wrong relationships. And this is really important because so much comes into our life through wrong relationships. I think I said last week, we all know that bad company corrupts good character. Well, number one, wrong marriage relationships. The Bible is clear that it's a sin for a believer to enter a marriage with an unbeliever. It's, the word says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, go look at it. Most often it seems to be like this. A Christian girl who falls in love with a nice non-Christian guy, they're all nice. Or a Christian boy who falls in love with a nice non-Christian girl or a baby Christian girl, because he's gonna save her, because men seem to have savior complexes. You know, I've had girls tell me that they've prayed about it and feel a peace that God's gonna bring the man to Christ. I know, I use that one myself. Besides, she feels, if I drop him, you know, who's gonna witness to him? You know, it's so incredible how we Christians will rationalize our disobedience even though it's gonna plunge us into a terrible heartache. It's never ever God's will for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. If you're already married to an unbeliever, yes, it's God's will that you remain married and live a godly life. That's also in 1 Corinthians 7. 
But if you're not, stop and think and pray. And pray and think. And pray and pray and stop and think. And pray some more. All right, wrong social relationships. That's, a, that's another area of bad relationship forming that gets us into compromise. In this area, you got to be really careful. If Jehoshaphat hadn't been there enjoying Ahab's hospitality, he wouldn't have been so ready to join Ahab on his military expedition. It's not wrong and is, in fact, right to form social relationships with unbelievers for the purpose of leading them to faith in Christ. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that sense. So true. But you got to be clear on your purpose. And I see a lot of Christians who are not clear on their purpose. You can't compromise your standards as a follower of Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived, Paul warns. Bad company, I will say it again, corrupts good character. You know, in 2 Chronicles, it also says, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Many Christians would answer, of course we should. Well, you better read your Bible a little bit more carefully because it also says that God hates the wicked and that we should too in the Psalms. Psalms 5.5, Psalm 139, 20 to 22. There it says, wait a minute, doesn't God love everyone and aren't we supposed to love the sinner but hate the sin? Suffice it to say here that the Bible is a bit more cautious and discerning than most Christians. Number three, wrong spiritual relationships. Jehoshaphat actually found himself lined up with 400 false prophets against the one lone prophet of God. How do you think he felt? As he watched this godly man and godly prophet boldly speak for God and then get hit in the face and thrown in prison while Jehoshaphat himself marches off to battle on Ahab's side. Oh, I'm sorry. If he didn't feel horrible, then I don't, I, then I don't know what. I often hear so many Christians say that Jesus said the world would need to know that we're his disciples by our love and unity. And I totally believe this. I have said this before. I have taught on love. They will know we are Christians by our love. That is the song that I was raised singing in Catholic schools as a little girl. So I do believe we need to bury our doctrinal differences and proclaim our unity and common ground. So totally true. Number four, and this is a big one, wrong political relationships. <sighs> Look, although our political system isn't parallel to the situation in the text here with Jehoshaphat, there's a warning here for us as Christian citizens. As soon as Jehoshaphat entered into this military pact with Ahab, he lost his position of strength. Now he was committed to go into battle with a godless man who operated on different principles than he did. He had to work under Ahab's scheme in the battle and it almost cost him his life. I don't know, you tell me. Do you wanna work under the schemes of an unbelieving king or ruler or principality or nation? Or do you wanna work under the principles and the power of a risen king, a living God? Time after time, I will take the God that David chose to stand with when he slayed Goliath. As believers, we may find it helpful at times to link up politically with unbelievers to achieve some common goals like pro-life or pro-family legislation, but we need to think it through really carefully and keep our goals and methods clearly in view. And I'm an attorney by education, so I get this on a lot of levels. 
Some Christians in America, though, are getting carried away with the political process as if that's the answer to preserving our freedoms. And I watch Christians all around the world get carried away with the political processes in your countries as if that is the answer to your freedom and your health. Well, it's not. And I'm not disparaging our political responsibility as Christian citizens, but I do maintain that the only hope for my country and the only hope for your country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should never forget that. Wrong political relationships and allies can suck us into compromise with the world in ways that our children's children's children will live to pay the price for. It takes time to get into these partnerships, and it's gonna take time to get out. I get that. But we've seen that compromise with the world is a great danger even for the most godly of believers. It's subtle, and it traps us through wrong relationships. You know, the fourth point I wanna quickly make is that compromise with the world brings disastrous results. It may take time, but sin always has its consequences, and sometimes the consequences affect future generations more than our own, and this is so critical. If you so compromise with the world, you will not reap God's blessings. Jehoshaphat himself, apart from God's grace, would have lost his life literally in battle. He later did lose financially in his ungodly business alliances with Ahab's son. And furthermore, Jehoshaphat's sin affected all God's people. And this is what this point is really about. He didn't merely say, I am as you are, but he also said, and my people are as your people. When Jehoshaphat went into war alongside Ahab, the army of Judah went with him, and no doubt a whole lot of innocent people lost their lives. There were probably others in Judah who would look at the godly Jehoshaphat's friendship with the evil Ahab and say to themselves, well, there can't be much difference between Ahab's religion and ours because surely if there was a big difference, such a good man who's our leader wouldn't be so friendly with him. Come on, people, we never sin alone. And if you're on a, on a leadership track or in a leadership position, your sin always affects others in the body of Christ. You cannot be a leader and think that your decisions will not impact the entire body of Christ. You have to answer for that. You know, in addition, Jehoshaphat's sin helped the enemies of God in their wickedness, literally. What if Ahab had won? Would he have fallen on his face before God? I don't think so. He would have thanked his godless prophets and continued his evil ways thanks to Jehoshaphat, the man of God. We never help sinners by compromising our standards to help them accomplish their purposes, ever. That's not why we're here. It's never gonna be the goal that we accomplish. And the clincher of this story is the devastating effect that Jehoshaphat's compromise with the world had on his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and on the whole Southern Kingdom. And this is the tragedy that I really passionately am trying to get you to avoid. Because no matter what you think, the effect eventually will come home and land right on your own doorstep and manifest itself right in the lives of those you love the most. In chapters 21 and 22, we read that after Jehoshaphat's death, his son Jehoram, who was married to Athaliah, remember her? Slaughtered all his brothers and then turned the nation to idolatry. This is around chapter 21. So God struck him with the terrible disease of the bowel and he died after eight years in office. Now his son, Ahaziah, became king and lasted one year before he himself was murdered. 
And then you know what? Ahaziah's wicked mother, Athaliah, then killed all of his sons, her own grandchildren. The woman killed all of her grandsons, except for Joash, who was one years old, who was rescued and hidden from her. Think about this, people. The entire Davidic kingly line from which Christ was descended came that close to being snuffed out. And the wicked Athaliah ruled the land for another six years. Okay, so that close to being snuffed out because of Jehoshaphat's compromise with a wicked Ahab. So the conclusion of all of this is that some would actually say the evangelical church in America has lost its theological foundation or its God-centeredness because instead of being truth brokers who help people come to know and live in submission to a holy God, a lot of pastors and leaders have become business managers who market the church and psychologists who help people find personal fulfillment and feel good religion. I read something recently that made me laugh, and it said that if the Apostle Paul were actually looking for a job in the church today, he probably wouldn't find one because not many people would like his personality, and they, certain, they certainly wouldn't like his hardcore stance. It would turn people off. Most pastors today, let's face it, stand or fall by their personalities rather than their character. That's sad. It's sad but true. And I'm not saying not to have mercy. God's merciful with all of us. But I am saying we got to come from a, a foundation of truth. And the church is blending a little bit too into wanting to be this modern PC place to hang out, kind of promoting God and the gospel as just another self-help method in a lot of places. It's time to wake up. We have to understand our role as believers and drive in our lane because we bring the power. And when it comes to compromise, I gotta agree that so often God's people are like fish swimming in the ocean of this world, not realizing that we're wet, wet with compromise. So here's what I want you to do in closing. I want you to say this prayer and I want you to do this. I want you to take your everyday ordinary life. I want you to take your sleeping and your eating and you're going to work and you're walking around and your friends and your holidays and your vacations that you take with your unbelieving friends and I want you to put it all before God on the altar as an offering. And I want you to embrace that what God does for you is the best thing that you can be. And embracing what he does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't be so open that your brains literally fall out of your head. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Don't accept compromise. Don't accept compromise. Don't be like the culture around you that is always trying to get you to look like it and feel like it and act like it. They're dragging you down to their level of immaturity and God wants to bring the best out of you to lift you up to a level of spiritual maturity so that you can lift up everyone around you and change the atmosphere when you walk in the room. Mature Christians avoid compromise. Immature ones entertain it. And they knowingly or unknowingly shipwreck not only themselves, but their dreams time after time after time. If you are sick of this, then I dare you now to close your eyes and say this prayer. I do not want to live another moment in compromise. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He came into this world and died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sin. And on the third day, he rose again in glory. 
and I want to live my life for him forever in Jesus' name. I'm Cynthia Garrett. I'll see you next week. I really hope you enjoyed this week's session and I can't wait to be back with you next week. So I just wanted to pop in really fast and remind you to pick up a copy of Prodigal Daughter, A Journey Home to Identity. It's my first book and it goes through my life and all of the things that God taught me through applying the word of God to challenges and situations and all kinds of experiences. At the end of the day, it's about finding my identity. And at the end of the day, it's from my heart that all of you would find your identity in Christ. And this book, I really believe, will help you find your identity and own your identity and walk powerfully in your identity because it's time for you to take a victory lap with Jesus as the guide. So I will see you soon. You can pick it up everywhere, online booksellers and retailers, and I hope you'll be blessed.